welcome to 31 Days of Terror, Day 16. I have three lovely spooky stories for you today and story number one comes from Tulemi. I grew up on the coast of North Carolina in the 1970s. My world was sun, sand and surf. When I was about nine years old, I had a nightmare. I was on an old-fashioned sailing ship in a bad storm. The ship was listing over so far, the sails were dipping into the sea. Waves were crashing over the deck, and rain stung my face as I clung to a boom. I was terrified. There didn't seem to be anyone else on the ship. And then I saw something crawling along the deck towards me. I could only see it when the lightning flashed and it kept getting nearer. I was screaming for my mom and then I was just screaming. The dark mass humped across the deck closer and closer toward me. It had limbs that flopped out in front of it. It dragged itself through the waves that crashed on the deck and should have swept it overboard. The deck tilted at a sickening angle but the thing didn't slip. I could hear its limbs making a wet thunk on the deck as it came closer to me. I couldn't let go of the boom or I would be swept into the cold, churning sea. I couldn't move. I couldn't get away from it. It was close enough that I could see it had hands. In the next lightning flash, it raised its head. A human head. So pale it seemed bluish-white, hairless and wrinkled as if it were a thousand years old. Its lipless mouth open and howling. I could tell now that it was dragging a sack. Both its clothes and the sack were black cloth and soaking wet. I couldn't tell what was in the sack, but it was large enough to contain a child and I was terrified. I knew that if he reached me, I would die. I woke up to my mom calling my name. I only had this dream once, but it frightened me so much that I can still recall it vividly. But this isn't just a story about a dream. In 1988, I joined the US Navy, and my first post was in Japan. I fell in love with Japan and the culture. When I was 24, I was working at the Naval Post Office on base in Yokosha, and living off base with my girlfriend in Kamakura, when my nightmare caught up to me. I had to get up at 4.30am because I had to ride my bicycle to the train station 15 minutes away from our apartment. I'm not an idiot. I had a car when we moved in, but I was T-boned and the car was totaled, so I had to utilise public transportation for a while. I arrived at the train station at about 5am. I was usually the only person on the platform, but the train came at 5.05, so it wasn't really a long wait. This particular morning was cold, It was a dark winter morning. Snow was in the air. Sound carried further and seemed to echo off the pillars of the platform. I remember pulling my knit cap down over my ears, shoving my hands deep into my coat pockets right before I heard the sound. It was out of place. A scraping, dragging sound coming from my right. I turned my head but I could still see nothing. It was still dark, and the pool of light I stood in did not extend all the way to the end of the platform. There was a tiny newspaper stand on the platform, but it wasn't opened yet. I knew there was a station attendant somewhere, 
but they were probably down by the ticket wicket out of the wind. I heard the scraping sound again, and this time it sounded closer and it lasted longer. I backed up a bit out of the light and pressed my back against a pillar. I was a sailor. I was trained to respond to emergency situations. I had sworn to protect and defend the United States and her allies. I was not going to wuss out because of a weird noise. Then I saw it. Standing much taller than me at five foot ten, with massive hunched shoulders, was a figure wearing a black trench coat or a cloak and dragging a black cloth bag. Terror immobilised me. How could this be happening? The figure wore a black fedora-style hat and black sunglasses. It didn't make any sense. Who wears sunglasses before sunrise? Who drags a bag across a concrete platform? It turned its face towards me, its impossibly pale, lipless, wrinkled face. I couldn't scream. I wanted to scream. I pressed my back against the cold metal pillar as hard as I could. I couldn't move. I was frozen to the spot. My heart was pounding and it felt like I was going to be sick to pass out and die. Then I heard the announcement that the train was approaching and to stay behind the yellow line. The figure turned to look up the tracks towards the train. I couldn't move. The train arrived and I scrambled in as soon as the doors opened. I looked around for any other passengers but the carriage was empty. I walked towards the front of the train away from the figure, trying to get as far away from it as I could and hopefully find another person. In the next carriage, there were other early commuters and I sat next to a man who looked like he could hold his own in a bar fight. I sat facing the back of the train, waiting for the figure to come through the doors that connected the carriage to the one behind it where I had boarded the train. But I arrived at my station, 45 minutes later, unscathed. I was cautious as I left the train, wondering if the dark bag-dragging monster would be disembarking as well, but there was no sign of it. The sun was up. I was surrounded by people, and I breathed easier as I headed towards the gates of the base. It would be 15 years before I saw it again. I got out of the Navy on a medical discharge because of an injury. I travelled around the world and eventually settled down and got married. We were living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, when we were blessed with triplets, and I became a full-time stay-at-home dad. During the summer that the kids were four years old, we were headed to swimming lessons when I blew a tyre on the minivan. No big deal. I called the roadside assistance number, and they told me it would be a couple of hours before they could help me. Great. Oddly enough, the tyre had decided to blow out really close to a trolley stop. I told the roadside assistants that I was going to leave the van and they could tow it back to my place once the tyre was replaced. I told the kids that we were going to have a big adventure and take the trolley home. We lived a couple of blocks from a trolley stop, so it shouldn't be too hard to get home. The kids were excited about taking the trolley. It was adventures in public transportation. We walked over to the little unmanned station and looked at the map. The trolley would go through a couple of neighbourhoods and by the mall before reaching our stop. It looked like fun. We didn't have any tickets or tap-on cards and there were no machines to buy any, so I hoped we could figure out a way to pay without getting into trouble. 
The kids were hopping around, looking up and down the tracks for the trolley and asking a million questions. I was trying to figure out when the next trolley was coming, and if we were on the proper track. When I felt cold air on my legs like a blast from an air conditioner. I looked down, but that was of no help because there was no vent or grate for cold air to be coming out of on the outdoor trolley stop. I looked around and noticed the cicadas had stopped chirping. I couldn't hear anything, except a high-pitched ringing and the slapping of sandals against the bottom of little feet as the kids swung their legs under the bench. I'm cold, Daddy, Cautious announced. I regretted leaving the beach towels in the van. Come over here and stand in the sun, Pumpkin. I think it looks like rain, Pragmatic said, staring at the clear blue sky. I had to agree the atmosphere felt like rain. There felt like there was electricity in the air. I wondered if it was just the wires overhead juicing up with the approach of a trolley. I wondered how long we would have to wait. And then I heard it. The scraping sound. My heart stopped. This couldn't be happening. I was a father, a protector. I chased away the boogeyman. The kids all looked at me. What was that? Is that the trolley? Cautious queried. The kids grabbed the railing of the safety barrier and looked up and down the tracks. I looked too. I was desperate to see the trolley or another person or the perfectly reasonable cause for the scraping noise. But there was no trolley. There was no other person and no rational cause for the sound. We all heard it again. I tried to stay calm but my inner dialogue was switching between deep breathing to centre my thoughts and run, run and save the children. Who is that? friendly asked and pointed behind me. I had no desire to turn around and look behind me because I knew what it was. Why is he dragging that bag? Pragmatic wanted to know. My vision went black. I felt like I was going to be sick. I looked up in front of me, up the track, where was the damn trolley? Daddy, I'm scared. Cautious looked like tears were not far away. Oh God, oh God, oh God, I thought, what could I do? How is it possible that my children are seeing my nightmare? Scramble, here, I barked. The kids jumped off the bench and came to stand beside me. A child took each of my hands and the third grabbed onto the front of my t-shirt. I could hear it getting closer, the bag dragging on the pavement as it approached the trolley stop. It was dragging its feet along the pavement too. Shuffle, shuffle, scrape. Shuffle, shuffle, scrape. And wheezing. I could hear the breath struggling to animate the thing. I hoped I didn't seem afraid of it. I wanted my kids to feel safe. It came up the ramp to the trolley stop. Shuffle, shuffle, scrape. It was right behind me. Only my body separated it from my children. Don't go that way. It's a dead end. Friend. It whispered right behind my ear. The smell of rot and mould and decay, like roadkill that had been left beside the road too long, wafted over me. Six little eyes looked up at me to see what I would do. 
I had to protect them. Thank you. We're heading to Dormant, I said, trying to sound calm and polite. (sighs) That's not the way. (sighs) That line doesn't go anywhere. I couldn't bring myself to turn around. I knew if I saw the pale, wrinkled skin and the lipless mouth, I would scream. Thank you very much, sir. Say thank you, kids. A trio of high-pitched thank yous floated up and I felt a frigid mist wrap around me. I gripped the little hands even tighter and walked forward. I could not look back. I felt it willing me to turn around, but I knew it would be disastrous. We crossed to the other trolley line and mounted the platform. I knew it was still standing where we left it, but I just couldn't bring myself to look at it. I kept the kids from looking that way by pointing out the stop we needed to go to and which stop was the closest to their grandparents' house on the big map. It was only a few minutes before the trolley came and we stepped into the safe company of others. As we sat down, Friendly turned around in the seat to look out the window. Bye! My child called and waved to the thing with the bag. I brought my eyes up and looked at it. A seven foot tall ogre with a large cloth bag standing in broad daylight on a trolley platform waving at us. His lipless mouth moved. See you later. It's been 14 years since that happened. My children are very nearly adults. I have never asked them if they remember that day or if they have seen that thing again. The first time I saw it was in a nightmare. The second time I only saw it from a distance but I was awake. The third time, I wasn't the only one to see it. And it spoke to me and touched me. What will happen next time? Was it me that will see it later, or my children? It's nearly time to find out. And story number two comes from Marianne. To provide a bit of background before I get into the story, my family is originally from a small state in southern India called Kerala. I was born and raised in the US, But when I was growing up, my parents sent me back to Kerala every summer break to stay with my grandparents. My grandparents' house has always creeped me out a little bit. It's our ancestral home that's been in our family since the late 1800s. And it has quite a reputation among the locals for being haunted. The house was a sprawling, labyrinthine bungalow with dozens of rooms and hallways. I consider myself a rather rational scientific person and I don't believe in ghosts but I have many stories of strange and inexplicable things that have happened in that house, both to me and to people I know. Try as I might, I have never been able to come up with an explanation for any of these occurrences. I don't want to bore you guys to tears, so I'll limit myself to one of the creepiest stories that I have. One of the most notorious spirits that allegedly haunts my grandparents' house is a yukshi, a female spirit who appears as a beautiful young woman dressed in a white sari with long black hair. According to Indian folklore, 
They're said to be the ghosts of women who died violently and have come back to seek revenge by using their beauty to lure people in and then drink their blood. Sort of like a cross between a vampire and a woman in white. My grandparents employed a caretaker who lived in a small house on the property and whose job it was to maintain the grounds, take care of the dogs, discourage burglary, etc. The caretaker's daughter, Layla, was around my age and we were close friends growing up. To this day, Layla swears that she had an encounter with the Yuxi when she was around 11 or 12. I can't say for sure what exactly it was that happened to her, but I will concede that it was incredibly strange. Layla and I loved to play a game that we called Stat, which was sort of a cross between hide and seek and tag. The seeker counts, the other person runs and hides, and when the count is over, the hider has to make it back to home base without getting tagged by the seeker. The bungalow was perfect for our game. It had plenty of little nooks and crannies to hide in and enough room to run around without getting in anyone's way. This particular time, I was the seeker. So while I closed my eyes and counted, Layla rushed away to find a hiding spot. There's a long stretch of hallway on the second floor that connects the two main wings of the house. And as Layla hurried down this hallway, she could hear the chime of anklets and felt the presence of someone walking directly behind her. She wasn't wearing any anklets, so assuming it was me messing with her, she whirled around, only to find the hallway completely empty. A little freaked out, she turned back around and continued down the hallway, walking faster this time. Again, the sound of anklets followed her, moving faster to match her pace. By now, Layla was terrified and sprinted through the hallway down the stairs and towards the kitchen, the sound of anklets right behind her the whole way. Panicking, she raced through the nearest door into a tiny shed-like room to the side of the kitchen that was used to store grain and rice. She slammed the door behind her and listened, holding her breath. She could hear the person wearing anklets pacing near the stairs that led to the door, as though waiting for her to come out. Suddenly the pacing stopped, and Layla heard someone fasten the iron latch on the door. Immediately, Layla tried to push open the door, only to find that it had indeed been latched from the outside. As she pounded on the door, she swore she heard a woman laughing, then the sound of the anklets growing fainter as she walked away. It should be noted that this room was airtight in order to prevent food from going stale, with a thick iron door that would have muffled Layla's screaming and pounding. She could easily have suffocated and died in there. Thankfully, my grandmother was in the kitchen nearby and heard Layla. By the time my grandma unlocked the door, Layla was slumped in a corner of the room, sobbing with terror and nearly hysterical. My grandmother assumed that I had been the one to lock her in and was ready to give me a stern talking to, but both Layla and I swore that I hadn't been anywhere near that part of the house. I also never wore anklets and Layla said that the laughter she heard was that of an adult woman. Layla is married now, with children of her own, but she still refuses to go anywhere near that room, and she has suffered from claustrophobia ever since that incident. I think about Layla's story often, and wonder who or what would have locked an 11-year-old girl into an airtight room and left her there to die. The only women in the house at the time were me, Layla and my grandmother, I know I didn't do it, and my grandmother certainly never would do such a thing. 
Maybe it was a vengeful spirit, risen from the dead to wreak havoc among the living. And story number three comes from Tut. I was five and super excited to be visiting my godmother as her house was like a castle. No, really though, it was a mini castle. Absolutely stunning, extremely old and now looking back, quite creepy. Anyway, the true reason that I couldn't wait to get there was the most epic game of hide and seek that I was about to play with another four kids that were my age that my godmother was looking after for a few of her family members. The heart of that house was the kitchen and it was the perfect place to entertain. It had a table as well as an island with chairs and a seating area with a TV. This was where we would go straight away to have a drink and normally a snack, which I was all about. My mother and my godmother sat down for a catch-up and us kids were finally let loose to play as we normally did. We started to play hide-and-seek, finally, and I ran off to hide in the most epic hiding spot ever, a bath. Yup, my imaginative little arse got into a big claw-foot tub, thinking they will never find me in here. The thing is, though, they didn't, but someone else did. I started to hear a humming noise, like what you'd do at work when you're concentrating on something. So I peered over the bath, thinking, please don't see me. He had his back to me. A very tall man, dressed in old-fashioned working clothes, a white collarless shirt, a waistcoat, and trousers that tucked down into his boots. He was perfectly there. There was no mist. It wasn't all different shades of grey, just an actual man humming to himself and getting ready to go to work. I will say that the room was quite dark and I could clearly see him and I still can clearly see him in my head but he may have had a little ghostly glow. I ran all the way to my godmother and asked all rushed and out of breath who's that man? And she replied what man? And I told her the man in the bathroom singing. I was getting annoyed because he was quite clearly there. We were the only people there that day Just the kids, my mum, my godmother and me. When I was about 17, the beaches was my grand's home and it was also the family hub. No matter what event was held, it was held at the beaches. It was a large bungalow, really long, but you could almost see the whole house from one end to the other. They converted the attic into a really large bedroom and one small one. And this attic really was the stuff that nightmares are made of. It's not what this story is about, but if you were to walk into this house and go up there, that's where you'd think something awfully creepy would happen. The house itself was perfect for something scary to mess with you. Plenty of ornaments to hide, a self-playing piano that played Big Spender, it was the only song I played, and rooms full of creepy old furniture just waiting to have a ghostly person on as you rounded the corner. The lady in the dress was seen mostly by the female members in our family. We only ever saw her in the reflection of things though. I saw her in the mirror at the end of the hallway. My aunts saw her in various windows or really shiny ornaments. My mum, however, actually saw her just standing there in the hallway in her big black dress, hair up tight, pale and hands together in front of her. She didn't say anything. 
She didn't move. She would just stand there and would only show up when you were on your own. I wouldn't say she was negative or mean in any way. It was just really creepy and intense. In 2020, I was 27 and we were in lockdown and spending lots of time in the house I share with my boyfriend. It's an absolutely stunning old hunting lodge that's been converted into two three-bedroom apartments. Plenty of things happen in Mince Pie Hall. Where we live, it would have been the servants' quarters. Now, I don't think whatever is here is anything negative. It just likes to mess with us and our dog. It runs down the narrow hallway at night and early in the morning. It walks around in the kitchen, which is directly above our bedroom. It has conversations with another ghostly being. And these are always muffled and sounds like a man and a woman talking. The most terrifying thing that happened, however, was when I was home alone in the bath. And the door in the bathroom started to open slowly. But the latch made so much noise as if someone was opening it in a rage. The door half swung open as I said, Callum? Thinking my boyfriend had come back from the shops and come in for a cheeky peek at me in the bath. But no one was there. Then the door, just as soon as it opened, shut again with a loud clack of the latch. There were no windows open, nothing to explain it, as we are half underground downstairs so there are no drafts either. Just as I finished my inspection of the downstairs, I went to check upstairs and my boyfriend walked through the front door with the shopping. So it wasn't him. And again, no windows or doors were open anywhere. Our ghosts aren't only mischievous, but pervy too. Thank you so much for tuning me, Marianne and Tut, for your stories. And thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to send in your own story, you can do so by sending it to Podcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, which is Podcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you tomorrow.